Welcome to Staying Healthy Naturally, a show that focuses on healthy ways to help you achieve optimal wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Krakoff. I have a degree in naturopathic medicine and I'm a registered pharmacist at Johnson Compounding and Wellness, Main Street in Waltham. Today, um, we have Lincoln Fishman coming back from Sawyer Farm CBD. And we're gonna be talking about CBD, how it's different from marijuana, how he grows it and extracts it for a full spectrum extraction, exactly what that is, and why growing the hemp plant on regenerative soil, not using any chemicals, using compost, makes a better product. Lincoln, thanks so much for stopping in again. Um, I think I'd like to continue on with where we left off the last time you were in on CBD. Sounds great. Um, so I guess let's go to basics. What is CBD and what's the difference between CBD and marijuana? Um, yeah, so that's a great question. I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, some of the companies that were originally involved in selling CBD really wanted to differentiate what they were selling from marijuana because there's a lot of fear about marijuana out there. So they said, well, this is industrial hemp. The difference between industrial hemp technically is a crop um, in this family that has below 0.3% THC. Okay. But there's really two different groups of genetics out there. One is marijuana genetics, and one is field hemp genetics. You would use those genetics to grow fiber crops, to grow seed crops, to grow oil crops, and you would grow that kind of um, plant at really high densities, let's say 100 seeds per square foot. Wow. You want to get tall, thin fibers. You want, you want to actually encourage competition. CBD genetics, even though it's called industrial hemp, those genetics are from marijuana plants. Okay. Five, ten years ago, they were all THC-producing varieties. And um, we basically took uh, those genetics and went in the opposite direction than we've been moving for the last 75 years. So instead of breeding them to produce more THC, we started breeding them to produce less THC. And the way that it's grown is the look of them, the smell of them, the way that they're grown, everything about it is just like marijuana, except that it has you know, below the, um, the legal limit for THC, so below 0.3% THC. Okay. They're going to produce really high amounts of all the cannabinoids, just like marijuana does. CBD is one of them, but there's also CBG, which I think people are starting to talk about. There's CBN. Um, there's 113 others that they've discovered, and I think last week, two weeks ago, somebody sent me an article, they just discovered two more. Um, okay. So there's, you know, it's a, a plant that's very rich in cannabinoids is producing a whole lot of molecules that um, are potentially beneficial for us. Okay, and we, nature gave us cannabinoid receptors throughout our whole body and the central nervous system, so I think she expected us to have some contact with hemp. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. All right. So now, just, and I don't want you to talk, I don't want to put you in a spot to talk about competitors, but is there a difference besides if you space them close together or further apart? Is there 
different quality hemp plants. So does it matter what strain of the plant you're growing or should you just look for the least expensive? <laughs> well, so strain and these are two, I'm going to separate that question. I'm not sure if question. I'm doing the right word. Well, I'm just going to break it into two parts. So the first question is about strains and there's a lot of strains out there and we're at an unfortunate, um, we're, in a, we're in a transitional period here where the genetics aren't quite um, firmed up. So for the cabbage that I grow, for example, one of the varieties looks basically just like it did 150 years ago. So there's been 150 generations and probably many more to get this genetic pool really, um, really tight. So when you grow this variety of cabbage, you just know what to expect. CBD is not there yet. There's a lot of variation. You'll get some seed that says it's this variety or that variety, and you find some of them are big, some of them are little, some of them are flowering before the rest of them. Um, they, some, they'll have you know, different smells, different CBD content. Um, I think the variety is really important. I think part of what's going to develop in the CBD world over the next five, 10 years is going to be a real, you know, at the moment, it's not like a seed catalog. Um, you can't, you can't open it up and leaf through and say, oh, there's this variety and that's got these, this cannabinoid profile and it's just starting, okay. but we're really not there yet. And I do think it's worth people trying um, different brands, um, especially small brands. You get a, if you get a national or international brand, they're going to be conglomerating so much um, CBD that it'd be hard to come to a conclusion about like, oh, I like this brand or I don't like this brand because it's going to be pretty different. So mixed, yeah. If you can find somebody who's actually growing their hemp, <clears throat> it may be that the variety that they grew is actually well matched to what your right body mix. wants. And there isn't one right one for everybody. Exactly. Like anything exactly. else. So we, we grew um, four varieties and ours are, um, we bring them in to get processed at the same time we wanted that blend. Um, but you know, anytime you get one of our bottles, it's going to be very similar. Each batch is going to be very similar to the last batch. So um, playing with varieties and, and um, processing them separately and selling them separately is something we might do in the future once there's more research out there about, you know, this variety is good for sleep, so, this variety is good for... Okay. Um, to your second question, which is, um, which is an, an overall question about how, does how might quality vary from company to company? I think you want to be looking for a few things. Um, one of them really is what can they tell you about their growing practices? Um, so what can they tell you about the health of the plant? I think is really important. And again, the smaller the company, um, the more you can find out. You might not always find out something you like, but at least you can find out something. <laughs> um, and, and so I think that's, that's really important from a health standpoint. I also think it's important from an environmental standpoint. We all are responsible for making um, decisions every day that make the climate better or worse. And looking for a place that has a kind of ethical stance about how they grow things and about reducing atmospheric carbon dioxide and not polluting our waterways. I just, to my mind, you know, that's something that's we, very we try to always and want also, to bear in mind. Also, from the sound of it, you have very little waste to dispose of because you're recycling the waste from the plant, from the animals that are used for the harvesting and for the cultivating. Right, absolutely. And we also have a big solar array, so our, our, um, our drying and curing, um, we, we use dehumidifiers and fans, um, and, and that all runs off the solar array. So we, we, we 
don't have the numbers to prove it, but I, I believe this is a, a zero carbon product. Excellent. Um, so we talked about the soil in the previous podcast, and we talked about how you're fertilizing by using mm -hmm. everything that nature intended to go in the soil. What's different about your harvesting? Like I was just reading in one of the newspapers, um, and they showed a picture of one of the um, deer harvesters, this machine oh, yeah. that's probably bigger than my right, house. Right. And it's just going along and it's separating out what they wanted and all the waste product is getting shot out, out the back, back and all that. What's your harvest like? So this is another really nice thing about our um, process or any other very small scale uh, farm. First of all, we're only taking the flowers, so you're not bothering with leaves and stems, um, and that's going to mat matter on the flavor level. Um, and we do a slow dry and cure. Um, so a lot of this we learned from, um, we called a lot of marijuana growers this year to sort of ask what's the best way to treat this plant. You put all this work into this plant. You don't want to destroy the active ingredient. Exactly. And so, you know, as a, as a vegetable farmer, um, you know, I felt fairly confident about how to grow a healthy plant through the season. But as somebody who's never done this um, on any scale, I really, we needed input from, from marijuana folks about, well, so now you're, now you're harvesting, what do you do to keep all the cannabinoids in there, to keep the terpenes in there, and to develop some nice flavors and aromas too. Um, and their answer basically across the board was slow, dry, and cure. So um, commercially what they're doing is they're drying this stuff in 12 hours, 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, a lot well, of heat and a lot of fans. Time is money and you want to get it. Time is money. Oh, and there it's, fans it's so much material. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even for us at our scale, it's a lot of material. But um, we, we rented um, um, truck boxes uh, like, you know, 48 foot, like 18 wheeler. Um, and you, right. you can just rent them from a, from a company. And we equipped them with um, a system of trays that allowed us to lay the flowers out in single, single layers. Yeah. And then we turned on fans, not actually blowing at the flowers, but just trying to keep the air moving in the room so you didn't get humidity settling around those flowers. Then you turn on the dehumidifier, and instead of trying to suck it dry as fast as you can, what you're trying to do is actually um, dry the outside a little bit, then you shut the dehumidifier off and you allow the moisture from the inside of the flower to wick out to the outside of the flower. So no part of the flower is ever getting too dry. When it gets too dry, you're going to have the terpenes um, evaporating off and you're going to lose some of the minor cannabinoids. So you just repeat this process, humidifier on, humidifier off, humidifier on, humidifier off um, for a couple weeks. And then you cure, which means it all goes into big bags, and the bags um, get, they call it burping the bags. You, as some of the lipids involved in photosynthesis are breaking down, um, and, and those are responsible for, for, the, for the sort of um, harshness that you can experience sometimes in the um, back of your throat or on the tip of your tongue when you're taking oral CBD, those will break down um, best in an anaerobic environment so you've got them in these bags and then you open them to let that um, get off gas it. and you seal it again and you do this every day for a couple days and you do it every other day for a week then you do it a couple times a week for a week and then um, so um, yeah I owe a lot to my friend Butch who was in charge of burping but it was a major again one of these things you don't think you're, you're not thinking does he help with like, the kids with the babies 
He does. He's helpful with everything. But he was really on top of this because, you know, hundreds of bags. Oh, that's, that's real time intensive. Just one of those be... things we never thought about when we were getting into it. It's like, oh, right. So it would be very easy to just crank up the heat in there, dry it out in a day or two, and then you're done. Absolutely. But you you're getting a better quality yield and you're, you're being gentle to these, all these, these plants. Just like I find when at home, you go out in the backyard and you cut some rosemary or some basil and you bring it in and you chop it up, it makes you smile. It's right. alive and there's so much there. It would be a lot easier just to open up the, the little jar, jar right. and it tastes good. Right but right. it isn't the same. Right. And so you put all this care and love into this plant. Why would you then destroy three quarters of it just totally. to get the work done faster? Yeah. And, and it's interesting you bring up um, culinary herbs because anybody who's dried culinary herbs at home is drying, knows that there's, you'd never put them in your oven at 150 degrees just because you want to get them dry and then throw them in a jar. They'd have no, no flavor left. You want them to dry slowly in a cool, dark place. Um, and this is exactly the same, same principle. And, and yeah, what you can do. A little you bigger can, scale. Oh, yeah, well, you, but what, you know, it's a bigger scale on the one hand. On the other hand, as I said, you know, it's really small scale as far as hemp goes. Um, but, but yeah, if, you, know, you find somebody growing on a small enough scale, and they're going to be able to give it the kind of care that you would give these culinary herbs if you were drying them at home. Okay, so now we have the plant out of the field. Uh -huh. It's in the 18 wheelers. <laughs> slowly drying right then what happens to it so at some point it's at um a low enough humidity that you don't need to worry about mold spreading anymore and you've been burping 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 and you get to a point where you start opening the bag and you're like Man, it smells great now you can just seal the bag and you can leave it there until it's time to bring it to the laboratory where they're going to remove the cannabinoids and the terpenes from the flower so that it's in the extracted form that'll stay good forever basically and you can put it in the, in the bottles that is going to wind up um, in people's homes. Um, do you want me to talk about extraction methods? Or? Whatever you'd like to do, what do you think oh. people, you know, don't, don't drill down too deep, too but deep, right. you know, because okay. it isn't just ground up and put in the capsule. This is, right. and probably how it's extracted, right. I know on a lot of herbs, some things need to be extracted in alcohol, some with minor heat, some in water. So there's a science or an art to probably right. getting the full plant extraction right. as opposed to just soaking it and putting it in a bottle. Right, yes, definitely. And I mean, I, I don't even know enough about it. We met with probably six different processing facilities until we found one that was actually owned by a chemist. We had a great conversation with this guy and we were like, this, is, this seems good. We didn't want to have a business person who hired a chemist to do the important work. We wanted somebody who, who was in charge of the lab do. and the business part was, was uh, you know, important but secondary to really wanting to do a great job. Um, there's so many different kinds of extraction, alcohol, CO2. Now there's vapor distilled. There's, uh, I can't even think of them all. And there's more and more being just, um, methods being pioneered all the time. But... I do think at the end of the day that it, one is not necessarily better than the other because you really, in the lab, you have, I think I'd never appreciated it fully before, but you have science needing art. Um, and there's, well, you, I can't yeah. tell you, you can so, tell me. <laughs> but from what I've seen researching different 
um, herbal extracts. Sometimes everything is done um, as pure as it can be done. Sometimes it's faster to use chemicals. Right. So right. I take it with the love you put into growing right, it. Absolutely. You're not using well, contaminants so, that are going to then be harmful. You have a great CBD product, but this isn't so good for you. Right. So there's lots of post-testing. We use an ethanol extraction, an alcohol extraction, or our lab does. And uh, that's not always people's favorite. I have some people who, um, who tell me they wish we used CO2. Um, again, the reason we went with our lab was because I thought the person who was in charge of it was really responsible was on the same page as we are about the idea that no matter what extraction method you use, you want to do the minimum amount of processing. processing. Yep. So again, when this industry started, they're really trying to market CBD as like it's not marijuana, don't worry. We're going to make sure we remove any flavor and any odor that might remind you of marijuana. Maybe we'll even but that's add probably some chocolate flavor. Biologically active. A hundred percent. Those yeah. terpenes are super important. There's a lot of research right now being done into terpenes, anti-inflammatory anti properties, uh, relaxation properties. Um, and so uh, again, meeting this guy was exciting because he said, if, "You know, this is what that's the way I like to do it. Sometimes my customers force me to do an extra three, four, five steps so that we have basically a colorless fluid that has." no flavor and when you take it you don't even notice um and you know so he was excited that we wanted it you know you know we were like well, no we we want, want the to taste thing. the plant yeah we want this to just be you know if we could squeeze it with our fists and get a drop of extract out we would have done it that way so yeah we were trying to just do as little as possible to keep the entirety of the plant um, in that bottle so that people could really be experiencing the whole plant okay so most products, and rightfully so, they talk about how much CBD is in there because there's all different potencies of strengths per drop or per half a drop or full, which is important to know because what I've seen is each person has their own sweet spot, mm -hmm. the right milligrams that are good for them. And if it's not enough or if you go much higher, it's, you don't need to and it's not as effective. Right. So it has to be standardized for CBD, so at least you know so many drops gives you so many milligrams. But what, what we're seeing in what I find are the better quality products is are the words full spectrum extraction. I think you talked about that a little bit, but you're growing the plant for CBD, but everything else also, so not just CBD. So can you just give a, a quick tutorial on What's a, what does a full plant extraction mean? Why do you want that? So um, you'll see, so the, the, op, the opposite of a full plant extraction would be CBD distillate, which right. means you, um, you go in, you do the extraction process, you have all these cannabinoids, all these terpenes, and you, um, you just pull out the fraction of that extract that's actually the CBD molecule, and you get like a white powder out of it. And that's just CBD. I think it has some health benefits. I don't doubt it. But it goes back to what you were just saying, which is, you know, this is a whole plant. The whole plant is medicinal. And I don't know why, what, what the benefit would be to throwing the other 99% of it away and saying, well, this one's important. 
Well, maybe an analogy would be an organic carrot has beta carotene in it. Right. So just take a beta carotene capsule because everything else that's in the carrot is, is useless. Whatever. Right. And it is that. Exactly. You have fiber and you have a whole lot of other nutrients. Exactly. That make, right. And they all work. It's symbiotic, symbiosis again. A lot of what I'm finding even on the genetics and looking at the metabolic pathways, you know, going huh. pure science, a lot of things are cofactors. You need a little bit of this so the main ingredient works better. Right. And right. we need to uh, embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, as I said earlier, I mean, there's 113 known cannabinoids. CBD is one of them. It's kind of a misnomer to call this CBD even, and I'm responsible for it too. You know, on our label, it says CBD in big letters, um, but it's not. It's, it's hemp extract, or another way of putting it is this is um, full low THC extract. marijuana extract. You but know, there's you so many different ways. But you we can't could, do that you couldn't because say that. marijuana right. is, one, is different, but two, the people that are using CBD don't want to use Quote, right, marijuana. Right, and right. So absolutely. So then you yeah, get into marketing just, and yeah, and it's just it's you know, and there's so many different um, ways to describe this that are useful. But um, but I, I do um, hesitate when we you know we call it um, full spectrum CBD extract. Um, you know, just as I said, that minimizes actually what it what it really is. CBD is just a part of what's in there, and and it maximizes what the product is. That right. is the full spectrum. Right. Okay, so now let's sort of put on your, your, your glasses for the future. Where do you see well, CBD, but you probably have to tie that into marijuana. We went from it being illegal. Right. And we went from the 60s where people were just getting high. Right. And then, of course, anything hemp, whether it's marijuana or hemp, even hemp clothing. Right. You know, I know I grew up living near the water, all of the lines on the boat were hemp uh -huh. because it didn't rot. Right. And so, and it was a little, you know, you got a little oil on you. So whenever I tied up the boat or pulled up the anchor line, you were getting a little huh. hemp a little or free CBD yeah, oil. And, you know, and nature intended us to be doing that. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden, anything from marijuana or hemp was no good. Now we seem to have divided it. We have the medical marijuana, we have the recreational, we have the edibles, and we have hemp right. and CBD. Right. Where do you, because you, you're more deeply involved in this than I am, um, because you're from putting it in the ground to making right. the product. What do you see for the future? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I wish... Um, or what would you like for the what future? What would I like for the future? Those are, those are two very different questions. <laughs> okay. But, but I do think... Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the most important answers to this is I think we could have um, hemp genetics that are, and they're online right now. We're actually going to be growing a variety next season, a variety next season that's very high in CBG. Okay. Um, we're just at the beginning. We could have varieties that are high in any one of these cannabinoids or have specific ratios of these cannabinoids. I see the the hemp market ideally moving in a direction kind of where the marijuana has been, where people know what variety they like. So if you're using it for peripheral neuropathy, we have, are you using it for a little stress and anxiety, or life is great, I don't have any pain, I have trouble sleeping, you could 
get a variety. You might be able to walk into Johnson Compounding and say. Get a full spectrum extract, but that from the plant, it has a higher amount of CBG for sleep. Right. They and might say, you know, you should start with the with this cherry blossom. This cherry blossom we're finding, you know, people are really um, are really responding. A lot of people are responding to this for arthritis. Um, and then you might come back in and say, you know, that didn't help me with my arthritis. Let's try a different variety. And so we might be able to say, you know, I don't think we're ever going to be able to super target it because it really is. There's just so much complexity between every individual's body. And, and, and every strain and the way that they interact. But, but it gives the quantities some, of the different um, alkaloids. The different cannabinoids the in there, yeah. I, so I, I think, you know, if, if there's a number of these options out there, people can start to find what works for them. Um, so now let me ask a, a question a different way. I personally and don't like over-regulation of any industry. I like uh -huh. the government to regulate to keep us safe right? and to make sure somebody else doesn't do something wrong and if they are, <laughs> they have the tools to stop them from doing it. But I think I would like a little regulation because there's a lot of crummy products out there or products. You showed me you did a, um, I, and people we call it a toxicity screen but an analysis to see what contaminants were there. And it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe how clean your report was. But that isn't I don't think that's required for right. any growers. So they could be using all these synthetics in the fertilizer. It could be grown on soil that isn't pure, that's contaminated. And that's going to be in the CBD that might be helping someone with something but also causing some other problem at the same time. Do you time? think they'll start being, or do you foresee in the future there'll be some more regulation? Because there's big growers, but there's an awful lot of small growers. It's not yeah. owned by a Monsanto-type like company. Right. Do you see that the a lot of the growers that are doing it ethically are going to want some regulation and labeling? Yeah, so I wonder two, two things. I guess, uh, first of all, at the federal level, I do think they're going to come up with some standardized testing. Um, you know, California, no surprise, has the best um, panel of tests that it requires right now. I think Massachusetts is testing for 10 pesticides, and I think California, which is the test that we got done, is testing for 60. Um, if we're talking about pesticides, I'd rather test for 60. Uh, you know, because you can only, it, it could be negative for pesticides, but if you only test for six, it's only, it's really only negative for six. It could be a toxic product, right? but it tests perfectly. Right. Now, heavy metals is standard. That's going to continue, um, you know, testing for residual solvents based on your extraction method is fairly standard. But, um, you know, these things could be set at the federal level just so that everybody knows that you basically can't get something that's dangerous for you. you there might be better standard. and worse on the shelf, but you're not going to get something that's actively bad for your health. And unfortunately, at the moment, this market's so unregulated, that you can. You could be well, taking something with high levels of heavy metals and no one's telling them to take it well, off just the It seems, and I could be wrong, just about anyone can grow hemp within reason, process it, and put it on the market. And then there's also companies, we find this in the supplement side, where there's a lot of companies that aren't even 
doing the minimum that's required by law. They're just making a product, advertising, getting it out there. And when it looks like they're getting big enough or somebody comes knocking on their door, they go bankrupt. They go, they disappear and open up under a different label. Yeah. So you really, you know, what I find very interesting is when we met you and have been dealing with you, you're a real person. The farm is there. The farm exists, right. The farm is there. Your horses are there. Right. Know where you are. Could right. drive by and see, is he having a crop duster flying right. over right. Exactly. or not? Exactly. And all that. Whereas with the big companies, and even if they're larger than you are, if they're buying from other growers, they, they might have standards that they say you have to do it this way. But is it really being checked and is it really being followed through? And it sounds like, you know, a lot of companies, I know that they have a minimum standard for their raw materials. And some companies, you know, realistically, if it has to be within 10% of your standard, if the supply came in and it was down another 1% or 2%, most likely nobody would ever know the difference. Right. But the quality manufacturers will be out of stock for three months right? as opposed to, to the putting it out and the, it wouldn't do any harm and it's probably going to work just as well. But they set their standards and they go by to their standards. Just like it sounds like if you're not getting enough manure for the soil, you're not going to go buy a bag of fertilizer right. and put it down. You'll go right. find another good source for a little more manure that you right. need. Right. Yeah. I mean, what we really want to see in the future in terms of safety, I want to see off the shelf testing. So I don't, you know, it's, I, there should be rules about what you can and can't do on the way there. But I, I would love the finished it. finished product should be tested. I would love it if they came in randomly, took product off the shelf and made sure that it ma matched the test that so you said it matched. Yeah. And I think, great. you know, that also would benefit smaller scale folks because one of the things that we have to offer is when I show you a test for a batch, our batch is only maybe a thousand bottles of tincture. You know, a batch for a big company might be a couple million bottles of tincture. What is it, how does that really relate to each bottle in that batch at that point? But yeah, I think off-the-shelf testing is going to be the simplest way to say, um, to rank the quality of what the product. What is, yeah, does, are, you know, because you could show up with any test in this hand and any bottle of tincture in this hand, and I could tell is you, yeah, they go together. Yeah. Do they? You know, and people have this idea that big companies are, are somehow going to be more reliable because they have a lot to lose and they're operating at this big scale, so they've got the money to put into And that's true in a way, but then again, look, we but see then that look it's at the not big, true. Big pharmaceutical <laughs> companies. So if you get a $4 million settlement against you, but you made $12 million, that right. was a good business decision. Right. You know, I'll do it again next year. Right. Absolutely. This is great. Now, I hope next time you're driving through or we can set up a time, I'd like to talk about going away from hemp and marijuana mm -hmm. and all that. I'd really like to talk about the farming because I know my wife and I get, all, get very happy when springtime comes mm -hmm. and the summer comes and the farmer's market in our town comes and the local growers are there, one, supporting them, mm -hmm. but two, from a selfish point of view, the stuff <laughs> is so much better <laughs> and all that. And it, in Massachusetts, I know there used to be so many farms and they all disappeared and there's great McMansions and all mm -hmm. these developments, but it seems the small independent farmer the organic farmer is making We're a coming back. 
And part of that is thank God for you and your family because you have the desire to do it. But I really believe it's the consumer who's, they've smartened up and they're saying, this is what I want 100%. as opposed to what we did want before. Yeah. So again, we're back to symbiosis. Yes. If I want it yes. and you can provide it, it's better for both of us. Yeah, I haven't and made that connection, but absolutely that's the plant roots feeding yeah. the soil life, right? Yeah. If the exchange isn't happening, it doesn't matter how um, good the, what right. you're doing if nobody right. wants it. Yeah. Or it's going to really help you because you can expand knowing that there's more consumers that want your product than you can currently grow. Right. So that'll be great. Right. So I hope we'll talk again and we Let's can talk it. about farming. Sounds great. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Please join us for part three when Lincoln and I will talk about the other direction that they're doing on soya farm, about farming, about being carbon neutral, what that means, what regenerative agriculture is, and how regenerative agriculture helps and build and maintain the soil. And this is really going back to the future, starting to farm the way we used to farm. It's a little slower, it's a little more work, but it is much better for the, what's being produced and for the environment.